Acts chapter 18, if you would, turn your Bibles there. Acts chapter 18. You know, Paul continues to do what he does, which is ministering in the synagogues and pointing people to Jesus Christ. And we continue to see Paul's example of being focused on what is most important in his ministry. And uh, before we get started, let's just once again ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, for giving us your word that we can know you and know how to live for you. And I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you would just speak this morning through your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us remove every distraction and... Lord, to concentrate on what you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll start breaking it down as we do each week as we're going through the book. Verse 1 says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogues, believed on the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. As I was reading through this next text of scripture this week, there is something I think that was just so obvious that jumped off the page as I came to verse 1. It's almost predictable as we go through every chapter of the book of Acts. It's almost predictable that Paul is going to be doing one thing. Teaching and presenting the gospel in the synagogues, right? We've seen it all along. It's like there's, there's no change. But the thing that really jumped out at me is that Paul is not tied to this world in any way, shape, or form. Almost every chapter of the book of Acts shows Paul doing ministry in a new city. And in Acts 18, Paul moves from Athens to Corinth, continuing to do what he's always done. Going from place to place to place, presenting the gospel and proclaiming who Jesus is. So I want to just park here just for a moment and ask you this question. I want us to think, I don't want you to skim over it, I don't want you to breeze through it in your mind. I don't want you to quickly answer and say, well, nothing. Because that would be the easiest thing to do. But here's the question. What are we tied to in this world? What keeps you in park, so to speak? What keeps you from moving forward? 
What hinders us from leaving our homes, our jobs, our comforts? Park there for a minute. See, it'd be really easy to say, oh, I'd do anything for the Lord. Right. We're willing to die for Him, but we won't live for Him. We won't talk to our neighbor about Jesus. Let's be honest. I'm not trying to point fingers out, because I point a finger, i got at least three or one cup of thumb, four coming back at me. I'll put myself in the same category. We are creatures of comfort. We like what we like. But answer that question. Be honest. If for only this time in your life, be honest. What are you tied to? If I were to say, what did Jesus ask His disciples to do and to be in the first century church? I think there are at least three assumptions. We're not going to take the time to park on them, but He says, when you pray, not if you pray, right? So we're to be people of prayer if we're truly born again. He says, when you give, not if you give, when you give. And then He says, what? Fast. Oh, He went there. Fasting is not for me, right? Because you're exempt, because you're special. But (laughs) here's that thing, though. There were expectations of those who were part of the early church that they were going to be people of prayer, people who gave, people who fasted, people who walked in obedience. And then we can kind of justify it, we can kind of rationalize it, we can kind of excuse it, well, God knows my circumstances, and He knows, uh, you know, uh, He knows all that I'm going through. I've got struggles. I'm not very well learned in this area, and I don't really know enough verses in that area, and I don't really do this. I don't really do that. And God knows that, and He understands that, so I get a buy, right? Is that how it works? I get a pass on it from God because He knows. If anything, that's ought to be even more motivation because He does know, right? But when we think of who the early disciples were. Disciples are disciples are disciples are disciples. Either you're a disciple of Christ if you know Him and are a child of God, or you're not. Does that make sense? A disciple is a disciple is a disciple is a disciple. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, why would we have a greater expectations of those who are in the Bible than what we would of ourselves? Does that that make sense? Are you following me? There shouldn't be any difference. See, that wasn't a special lot of guys, lot as in a lot of guys who had special anointing. No. You can have that same anointing they had. So if we have expectations of those that we read about in the Scripture, why don't we have those same expectations of us? I question that for myself. Would I be willing to do whatever God asked me to do? You know, here, here's, I, I shared something with you a couple weeks ago. I love missions. I'm planning on taking a couple mission trips next year. I'm planning on it. We've had COVID. We've had problems. Had heart issues. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping out of my skin to go on a mission trip. I have so many people asking me. I want to go. And once you know the first person that asked me wants to go to India, as I said a few weeks ago. And I'm thinking, India? They're killing people. They're killing people. Westerners from America going over there. They're getting killed. They're killing their own people. And I'm thinking, Lord, this one? Really? I mean, I'm willing to go, but this one? 
I struggled with that. I've never been afraid to go on a mission trip. But I struggled with that one. And as I got through thinking about it, I was like, Lord, why am I struggling with this? Because it's fearful. For the first time in my life, I'm thinking, do I really want to go? There. Why can't I go someplace where there's no fighting right now? I want to go someplace easy. Where I can sit in a classroom and teach all day. But I struggled with it. And I finally said, okay, I'll go. So I called the gentleman up and said, count me in. Count me in. Then circumstances have come up that have allowed me that I can't go on that particular one. And once you know it was the one that the guy, anonymously, the anonymous guy said, I'll pay for the ticket. I'm like, really? I think God was just saying, are you willing to go? Are you willing to do it? And he just showed me that he'll take care of it. But I had to surrender to it. I don't know about you, but fear can captivate us, right? And it doesn't have to be about going to India. It can be that conversation with your next door neighbor. What are the comforts that we don't want to give up? Air conditioning? How about a western toilet? And those of you who have been to some of those countries, you know what that's about. I mean, do you want a regular toilet or do you want to find a hole in the cement floor somewhere? I like toilets, just saying. Comforts. We like our comforts. We like our homes. We like our cars. We like our jobs. We like our free time. We like our money. And we hold on to these things as if we're never going to let them go. I've never yet heard of one person who's ever been born, who has ever existed, who has ever lived a single breath in this universe that was able to die and take anything with them. And yet we hold on to these things as if we're never going to get any others, as if we'll never come across them again, as if God can't bless us with more if we give it away. We hold on to stuff. And we say... Well, Paul was Paul. Paul was a missionary. Paul was, a, Paul was special. He was used of God. No, Paul is just like every one of us in this room. Honestly. In fact, if you want to compare stats, he's probably a little bit worse than most of us. I don't know anyone of you that killed anybody. And if you did, I don't want to know about it. Paul was not a nice guy before God saved him. And yet he was willing to give it all up. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where Paul had a really nice home, a mansion on a hilltop somewhere. I don't find anywhere that he had a you know, cool bank account at First, ba- or First Bank of Jerusalem or Athens or Corinth or Thessalonica or anywhere else he went. He didn't have Jehovah Visa and Jehovah MasterCard and Jehovah American Express. He didn't have the creature habits that you and I enjoy. He just simply, I'll go. And when I first read this, I'm like, man, this guy didn't sit still. And I love my lazy boy. I'm not kidding you. This last one, I mean, it reclines and rocks. It's pretty cool. 
two-seater, me and my wife. The old one was just stationary. I like this chair. Anyone else? Let's be honest. I like that big TV. I'd rather have the 46-inch than the you know 19-inch. Anyone else? Let's be honest. I like the big one. Bigger's better. If one's good, three's better, right? We like our creature habits. And I'm convicted when I read about Paul. He wasn't tied to anything. His car wasn't in park. And he's willing to leave behind anything that was of value to do what God asked him to do. I want you to turn your Bibles just for a moment to 1 John chapter 2. Before we really start breaking down Acts, I want to look at 1 John chapter 2 just for a moment. What is the heading above verse 15 in most of your Bibles? Go ahead and say it out. What does it say above verse 15 in most of your Bibles? Do not love the world. How many love the world? Some of you are not telling the truth. My hands are up, by the way. I don't want to love the world. I want to pretend like I don't love the world. But I'm telling you, I love every creature habit it's given me. I'm just being honest. I like, as I said, my lazy boy. I like my TV. I like the food that we have. And he says, don't love the world. You say, well, it's a different kind of love, right? You can kind of, you know, twist it however you want. I'm just going to be honest about me. I'll, I'll preach to me for a minute. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then it goes on to say, for most of what's in the world, wait, it says, some of what's in the world, oh, all, I'm sorry, I need my eyes adjusted there. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let me give you a couple of things about the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh has to do with our morality. What do we see of the morality in the world that we live in? <laughs> Down the drain. And that's what's going on in our world. The morality is gone. Lust of flesh deals with our appetite. What do we hunger for? What do we thirst for? What is it that our flesh desires? It deals with our pleasures. What is it, whatever it is that we pleasure. And it has to do with what we want to do in this life. Morality, appetite, pleasures, and doing. When we get to the lust of the eyes, it has to do with not morality, but materialism. What we want. Not appetite, but appearance what we look at, what we want others to see in us. And then our, not pleasures, but possessions. And not willing, literally, not, not about what we do, but about what we can have. And then the pride of life that deals with our motives. Not morality or materialism, but our motives. Not appetite or appearance, but applause of man. The pride of life. I do what I do so people will applause what, applaud what I do. It doesn't deal with pleasures or possessions. It deals with power. My ability to have a position. And then it's that desire to be. Not to do or have, but to be. 
You see how all these things work together? It's the world that we live in. It is the exact world that we live in. Lust of the flesh, our morality, our appetite, our pleasures, our ability to do. The lust of the eyes deals with our material, our appearance, our possessions, and our desire to have. And the pride of life deals with our motives, man's applause, the power, positions we can attain to, and the desire to be. And God says, all these things are not of me. Those things are of the world. And everything that you can anchor to in this world will pass away. There are only two things that will span the test of eternity. The souls of men and the Word of God. Everything else will be tried as by fire, God's Word says. What is it that we are anchoring to? What is it that we are tied to? What is it that we live for? What keeps us in park? Is it the materialism? Is it the motives? Is it our morality? Is it our appetite? Is it our appearance? Is it applause? Is it the pleasure or possession or power or position? Is it the ability to do, to have, to be? What is it that holds us from doing what God asks us to do? And before you say nothing, let me just speak to myself again. I want to, in my flesh, say, hey, I'm fully sold out. I mean, I'm a pastor after all. I work at a church after all. That will get me nowhere in God's eyes. It's about my relationship with Him. And your relationship with Him. If you have one. The foundation of these things that are in the world are really based on selfishness. It's all about me rather than being about Him. All about me rather than Him. And they're all distractions. They're all squirrels. When it's all said and done, they're all squirrels. But notice Paul's words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, oops, I'm almost there. Pages are sticking. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 13, he says this, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. When Paul went into the synagogue, and remember we talked about this idea, when he went into the synagogue, he wasn't beating him over the head with what he believed and what he thought was the truth, even though he knew it. What's the word here? He had a dialogue. He had a conversation with them. He talked them truth. He asked questions. But the reality is, he said, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches. He said, listen, I'm not sitting here trying to you know, awe you in, with big words and complicated statements. He said, I'm just teaching what the Holy Spirit teaches us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, He says this in verses uh, 3 through 7. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for our consolation and salvation. And by our hope, for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you are partakers of the consolation. He says over and over, when Paul went from city to city, was it, was it a you know, Ferris wheel ride? Going there just enjoying the views? Having a good time? Man, these Jews hated him. They persecuted him everywhere he went. And he just says, listen, there's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a cause, and it's okay. So what holds us back? Is it the fear that people are going to reject us? Is it the fear that they won't understand? Is it the fear that I just don't want to give up certain things that I enjoy, certain things that bring me comfort? Or am I willing to say, hey, it's not going to be easy. But that's okay. God's in control. And we're going to see some really cool things as we go forward here. Along the way, once we focus on what God has for us, God will give us what we need to do what He has called us to do. You ever thought about that? God will always give us what we need to do what He's called us to do. That amazes me. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says this, And I, brethren, when I come to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I didn't come because I was just a great academic. He didn't come because he goes, I have all the right answers. How many of you have ever thought when you're talking to somebody, I don't want to say anything because I might tell you to say the wrong thing. My hand's up, by the way. Every week, somebody asks me something. I was like, I don't really fully answer that, but let me look into it. It's okay. You don't have to know everything. God's Word will reveal what we need to know. Over and over, he says, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring you the testimony. Paul, everywhere he went... Remember, he went from Athens, and now he's in Corinth, or I mean, uh, all these places that he's going. He says, he, he says, it's not about my skill or my ability or my talents or, or my speech or my wisdom. He said, I don't have any of that. But he says, I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Then verse 4, he says, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. He said, I'm not trying to persuade you even. I'm just telling you the truth. You do with it whatever you want, but I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not even going to sit here and try to convince you. I'm not going to try to persuade you. He said, the reality is, he goes, I'm just going to tell you the truth, and you have a responsibility to do with it whatever you feel like you need to do with it. Better choose wisely. In verse, end of verse 4, he says, But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, I don't want you to believe because I persuaded you to believe. I want you to believe because the Holy Spirit has shown you that you need to believe. Isn't that amazing? Over and over, he shows that he's willing to let God use him and the Holy Spirit to work through him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 9, he says this, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being a burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. 
He says over and over, he goes, I didn't want to be a burden to you. As I'm going from town to town, village to village, synagogue to synagogue, he goes, I'm trusting God that he's going to take care of me. And you're going to find out in the book of Acts, God did exactly that. Along the way, when we focus on what God has for us, God will give us what we need to do what he's asked us to do. Think about this. When he went into this town, look, look in uh, Acts 18, verse uh, 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. Paul was willing to work for what he got. He was willing to work with those who would provide him work. God gave him what he needed when he surrendered to what he was supposed to do. So God gave Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla, fellow tent makers, which, with, with which Paul stayed for a while. God allowed Silas and Timothy to rejoin them in verse 4. And then they together testified that Jesus was a Christ in verse 5. They focused on what God had for them. And when they surrendered to what God had, God provided and God worked. Let me ask this question. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to ask answer out loud. But you see the example. You see the principle in every chapter of the book of Acts that when Paul surrendered, he saw God work and take care of the need and bring people to himself. That's the pattern. You see it almost in every chapter. So here's the question we ask ourselves in our own lives. If we're not seeing God at work, if we're not seeing God provide, if we're not seeing God use us to plant seed, to water, to see increase through us, does it not seem logical that we go back to the first point? Are we surrendered to what God has for us? Because it's only after Paul surrendered and obeyed that every other thing fell into place in every chapter. You don't see that Paul was off doing his own thing and God still did this. Everywhere he went, as he surrendered to the Holy Spirit, then God worked. And if God's not working in your lives, does it not beg the question, have I surrendered? That's what I have to ask myself. If I don't see God at work, I have to ask myself, am I surrendered? Or am I still operating in the flesh? Am I still doing what I want to do? Because the pattern is surrender, then God works. And then we see something else in verse 6. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. For now I will go on to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? As they ministered, they left the results up to God. Once again, I can't control the outcome of what I do and what I do for God. I can't. I want to. Anybody else want to? I want to say, God, this is what you have to do. And God, I'm going to do this, so I'm expecting you to do that. I can't... What am I going to do? Twist God's arm? (laughs) God's going to do what God's going to do. but I cannot make Him do anything. I am called to obey. That's it. I'm not called anywhere in Scripture to control the outcome. But I am called to obey. And as he obeyed, he says, listen, I've given you truth. I've not persuaded you. I didn't come in here with great academia. 
I didn't come in here trying to you know, force you. I'm simply giving you the truth. And now you do with it what you feel like you should do with it. But every choice has consequences, right? And he says, if you're not going to listen, it's okay. Your blood is on your own hands. I do what God asked me to do. And now it's on you. You say, well, that's cruel. It might be, but isn't it the truth? They shook off their garments. I'm not sure if I wrote the right verse here, but in Acts 20, verse 26, yes, here it is. He says in Acts 20, verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. We could go on there, but can you imagine? That's confidence. Once again, don't raise your hand because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. But has God ever laid somebody's name on your heart to share the gospel with? And you said, eh, don't want to do that. I don't really know what to say. I don't know all the verses. They may not listen to me. They might get upset with me because they're not very religious. Fill in the blank. Paul says, I have not shunned to declare the gospel. Your blood is innocent. Or my my hands are innocent of your blood. That's a pretty bold statement. I can't say that yet. I'd be lying if I did. Maybe you agree. But those are some pretty strong statements. Because there are times that I'm just too big a hurry, don't have time, other things on my agenda, and God is saying, just have a conversation. I don't want to be that person. I want to pretend I'm not that person. I want to think I'm a pretty good person, in fact. I want to, I want, I want to give the impression to you guys as my parishioners that I talk to everybody about Jesus every chance I get. And I'd be a liar. But I want you to think that, though, because I'm a pastor, right? No. We all deal with that. But I want to do better at that. I want, I want to be like Paul in this area. But they shook off their garments. He said, I don't control the outcome. I'm just faithful and obedient to what God tells me to do. That's what God, where God wants us, to be faithful and obedient to what he's called you to do. And they remind them that the consequences are yours. But you notice the change of direction here in this passage. Did you catch it? He said, from now on, verse 6, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Where had it been going? Chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter all the way up to this so far. Where had he been spending this time in every new city? synagogues talking to the jews and everywhere he went they got angry with him and finally paul just says i guess i'll go to the gentiles but you know what is that really odd not not really because when you look at acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16 he says but the lord said to him go for he is a chosen vessel to me 
a vessel of, of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And this other little bit of prophecy that I wouldn't want to hear. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Ouch. How would you like that? <laughs> he didn't know yet, but he is really going to go through it. <laughs> if he only knew, he would not know. This guy, he didn't even know what he was going to face. But he's in the midst of it. Over and over again. But he didn't lose heart. How do I know that? Well, in Acts chapter 18 in our text, look at verse, the second part of verse uh, I'm sorry, verse 7. And he departed from there and entered to the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Three different things here. He begins to worship with Justice. Yes, they are not listening to his message. Didn't stop him. He said, my hands are innocent of the, your blood. Your blood be upon yourself. He said, I, I did what God asked me to do, but now I'm going to worship with justice. He did not get distracted. He did not get disappointed as far as you know, despair or depressed. He just kept doing what God told him to do. And then he worshiped with Crispus and his house who believed. And then Paul ministered to the Corinthians who now believed and were baptized. God was still at work. God may not have done everything he wanted him to do, but God did exactly what he needed to do. And God renewed Paul's boldness in verse 8. It says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Can you imagine this? Paul's in the middle of all this. And God just shows him that he's still at work. And in verse 9 and 10, you see how God encouraged Paul not to give up. What happened? Let me read verse 9 and 10 again. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. I, I count one, two, three, four, five, six things that God said he was going to do. He was not to be afraid, or the six things God said, he was not to be afraid. How many are afraid sometimes to do what God asks you to do? We have no reason to be a fear. He says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to be afraid. He said he was not afraid. He was to speak. Number three, he was not to keep silent. Number four, he, was, he would have God's presence. Number five, he would be free from attack. And number six, he would not be without God's people. He says, I have many people in that city. Can you imagine that? You're in this city. You just left Athens and all that was taking place there and the speaking to the God that they can know versus the God the, the idol to the or the tomb of the unknown God. All these things that were happening in the Areopagus and all these you know Stoics and Epicureans and all these philosophers that were gathered. He left all that, comes into Corinth, and God just says, I am with you. Speak. Don't be silent. Nobody's going to attack to hurt you here. And by the way, i got lots of people in this city. You don't know who they are maybe, but you're not alone. Question, 
Could every one of those things be applied to us, yes or no? You believe that? I believe every one of those things that God told Paul can be said to us and has said to us in other places in Scripture. What does Romans 1.16 remind us of? It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes through the Jew first and also to the Greek. We don't have to be ashamed. We have the gospel. We have Jesus. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17, he says this, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Over and over, God says go. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Ouch. That's a rebuke. They've not all obeyed. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Over and over, he says, you need to go. Open the door. But what was the result of Paul's ministry? Here in Corinth, verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. He had an open door. He stayed there for a year and a half. That's one of the longest times Paul stayed anywhere. All through Acts, every couple months, somewhere else, every few days, somewhere else. And all of a sudden, he's here for a year and a half because God opened a door. And he continued to teach the Word of God to them. One example that we see from Paul. I'm just reminded over and over, he wasn't tied his car wasn't in park. There was nothing so valuable, so awesome, so great that he wasn't willing to give it up and go. I don't know about you, but sometimes we get so comfortable with our environment and our stuff and our things that we just don't want to give them up. Some of the most difficult things to give up is our family. How many of you prayed that when your kids got old enough to go to college, they wouldn't leave too far from home? <laughs> right? Why? Because we want our kids here. Jerks. They, my kids went off and moved to Texas. Jerks. No. Drives me nuts. There are days I just want to... Yeah, he's in Texas. It drives me nuts. I want my kids near me. I want my family near me. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would struggle giving that up if God were to call them somewhere or God would call us somewhere because we'd have to separate. Or how about our homes? I like my home. I, 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 if this is you, I don't know about you. I'm not picking on anybody, but I, this is one I don't understand. It's so funny to me when someone gets to be about 65, 70 years old, then they build their mansion. I'm like, why now? The kids are gone now. You, you, you should be downsizing. But some people upsize. I, I don't know. I, I don't understand that. I have not tied anything. My, my, this scares my wife. I could live in a tiny home. I have so much crap. I'm telling you, I'd be, it'd be piled around it, but I could live there. Because it'd be on wheels when you could go anywhere. I want to just travel. Think about it. What are we tied to? What, what keeps you in park? 
What keeps you from saying yes, Lord? And it could be anything. This context that Paul is, is giving us in Acts 18 is the giving of the Gospel. But practically speaking, it doesn't have to be this context. Practically, it could be anything that hinders us from doing what God has asked us to do. What hinders? What's keeping your car in park? Hopefully it's not the things of this world because that's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He said, that's not of the Father. And if that's in you, he says, love of the Father is not in you. And he says in verse 18, these things are passing away. So we can't or should not be tied to the things of this world, but mobile for the cause of Christ. What is hindering us from being fully obedient? What is keeping you tied down? Keep asking because I want you to answer it in your mind. I want you to think about it. And before you say, well, I've not, I've not, I, I, there's nothing holding me. We all have things that are holding us. All of us do. If you don't, be careful. We all have things that hinder us from time to time, that distract us. The unholy squirrel. Are you willing to surrender it? Are you willing to say, yes, God, and be obedient? Lord, thank you for the text in Acts 18, Lord. Just Lord, so many practical applications here. Paul was obedient, but he didn't control the outcome. He didn't have to. But he could boldly say that he was free of their blood. He was innocent because he had done what you had asked him to do. I pray, Lord, that every one of us would get to that place, Lord, where we are fully obedient. And that, Lord, that there's nothing hindering us, distracting us, holding us back from doing what you're wanting to do in and through us. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. Lord, it's so easy to justify why we do what we do or don't do what we do or what should do. Lord, it's so easy to excuse it, to rationalize it. It's so easy, God, to, to point the finger and, and, and to give excuses as to why. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to remove the excuses. Remove the distractions. Lord, that we would be fully obedient. Thank you for Paul's example of not being tied down, of always being willing to go and to be whatever it is that you have for him, Lord. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room this morning, Lord. It's not always an easy message, Lord, to hear. I want to hear a frilly message, a, a nice, easy message, something that's just encouraging how good God is and going to go on our way. But Lord, your word is convicting. Lord, your word tells us it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I pray, God, that you'd help us to humble ourselves and be honest of worth where we're at with our walk with you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed just for a moment this morning, as we do each and every Sunday, we have an opportunity to respond to what God's Word has shared. So what is it that God wants you to do in response to what you've heard? Is there an area of obedience that you've not surrendered to? Something that God has 
has for you to do and to be that you've not said yes to yet? Something that's holding you in park. Something that's tying you down. A distraction that you're not willing to give up. You say, Pastor Ken, God has challenged me with an area like that in my life. Pray for me. Yes. Yes. All over the auditorium. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Can I challenge you right there where you're at in your seat? Right there where you're at. Surrender it. Whatever it is that's holding you back, surrender it. Right here and now, surrender it. Say, God, it's yours. Remove this distraction. Dear Father, remove anything that would hinder me from being fully obedient. Lord, speak to hearts, we pray. Lord, all around this auditorium, Lord, people acknowledge that there's areas of their life, Lord, that they're holding back in, something that's distracting them, something, Lord, that they're tied to. And I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you give them the boldness and the courage and, Lord, even the obedience, Lord, to, to surrender it now so that you can work in and through them. Lord, we saw in every chapter so far in the book of Acts that you worked once the surrender was complete. Lord, we don't get your working without surrender to you. And I pray, Lord, that there would not be anyone in this room, Lord, that has not surrendered yet to you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would work. But show yourself strong in everyone who's lifted their hand, their heart towards you, Father. Lord, that you would, Lord, just do a work in and through us, Lord, that we could see, even as Paul saw, as he stayed there for a year and a half, Lord, he saw people continuing to get saved and baptized. But Lord, whatever the area of obedience is that you have shown to us, Lord, I pray that we would surrender. Do your work in and through us, Lord, we pray. And be with each one, Lord, that we may see victory this week, immediately, Lord, as we surrender to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.